Today's episode of the Athletic Business Podcast is brought to you by Synexis. Welcome to the Athletic Business Podcast. I'm Andy Bird. I'm Jason Scott. And today we are back. Number one, Jason, right? It's been a while. That's right. Yeah, it's been uh, another uh, couple of weeks since our last episode, but we certainly uh, appreciate everybody seeing sub- subscribe to the feed and uh, sticking with us while we uh, kind of muddle through this continued right. uh, work schedule. <laughs> yeah, uh, once again, connecting remotely, both of us, um, as we're not back in the office yet. But uh, um, today we're going to be talking, uh, we're going to visit your interview with Brent Darden, interim president and CEO at URSA. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you guys talked about? Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I got a uh, chance to talk to Brent Darden at URSA. Uh, he is, uh, as you mentioned, the, uh, association's interim president and CEO. And, uh, I talked to him a little bit about, um, just what it was like to kind of be stepping into that role amidst everything that's going on right now at, gestures broadly. Um, right. So uh, we, we talked a little bit about kind of what the association's role has been uh, as far as kind of advocating for uh, the industry uh, amidst the pandemic. Um, we also talked about uh, lessons learned from the COVID crisis uh, and, and uh, just different things that, you know, fitness organizations and health clubs uh, around the country can do to kind of advocate uh, for themselves and, and kind of lean on URSA as a resource to do that. So uh, it was a really right. great conversation, and uh, yeah, uh, we'll get to that uh, right after a quick break to hear from our sponsor, Synexis. Meet the Synexis Biodefense System, the sole developer of patented technology that transforms ambient oxygen and humidity into dry hydrogen peroxide, or DHP. Wherever air goes in your facility, so too will DHP to effectively and continuously reduce viruses, bacteria, mold, odors, and insects from the air and surfaces. Learn more at Synexis.com. That's S-Y-N-E-X-I-S.com. Well, we appreciate your your time this afternoon. So uh, let's get right to it. Um, This is kind of uh, the question, I think, on on the top of everyone's minds, which is, what is it like to take over as president and CEO of the Major Fitness Association amidst the global pandemic? Well, the first two words that come to mind are exhausting and exhilarating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just uh, literally uh, just a little over two weeks ago I was uh, you know having enjoying a pretty good life but I've said many times you know sort of a good mix of rewarding work and also um, rewarding work and uh, purposeful relaxation so you know I had some free time and it was uh, it was enjoyable and now here I am thrust into the midst of this, not only taking over uh, with very short notice, but also during the pandemic and crisis. So right. uh, it's an honor to be asked, and I really appreciate uh, the outpouring of support that I've continued to receive from so many colleagues, you know, members of URSA and non-members, suppliers, club operators, et cetera. So, yeah, I couldn't be more thrilled to be here, and I'm anxious about what the future holds. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, as, as – uh, we're, you know, we're dealing with this pandemic. Um, what are some of the main concerns that you're hearing from from members as they look to kind of uh, reopen their facilities and get back to normal as best uh, as best they can? 
Yeah, well, of course, number one is just getting to reopen, first of all. Uh, the target is still a couple of sections, uh, a couple of states or parts of states that haven't even been allowed to be open yet. Right. Uh, so that's one, how do we get the clubs open? And then second to that is what are the restrictions on reopening? And some of those restrictions, unfortunately, have been so onerous that they're really untenable, right? Like right. Uh, California, you know, has rolled out. Well, when, when you're allowed to reopen and you meet all these different uh, standards related to the pandemic and positive cases, then you can open at 10% of capacity. Mm-hmm. And right. the harsh reality is opening and trying to operate at 10% of the capacity, just that doesn't make financial sense, right? So you might as well not open, and that's the decision some clubs are being forced uh, to make. So, uh, you know, our efforts at URSA in the very recent history have been how do we help get the message points out, get the research out to help clubs uh, persuade, if you will, the politicians and the civil servants or the authorities in their area to let them get open and then not only get open, be, be open with some reasonable expectations around restrictions. Sure. Yeah, so it, it sounds like um, you're you're really focused on doing a lot of advocacy work. What does that really um, kind of look like uh, from the association's perspective? Well, um, some people don't even realize. You know, we have uh, many lobbyists uh, that are working for us. So we have uh, dedicated lobbyists in seven of the states that tend to be the most uh, active, if you will. And then we also have, uh, I think, a team of. Uh, about seven to nine lobbyists in D.C. working on the national level. Um, And then uh, we have a public affairs team that's really dedicated day in and day out to monitoring what's going on in all the states and trying to, uh, you know, help them through sort of what we call a crisis team so that they can provide materials, um, lobbyists, connections to lobbyists, and information that might be helpful. I don't know if you've seen one of the more recent research projects that's been released through a partnership with URSA and MXM yes. about the uh, you know, the visits to virus ratio and the fact that health clubs you know, are something like 0.002% of visits uh, are resulting in the positive tests. So things like that, that's how we're really helping them. Right. Is URSA embarking on any new initiatives kind of aimed specifically at supporting club safety and uh – and maybe cleanliness uh, during this time? Um, I don't know that URSA is uh, launching, quote, initiatives, but mm-hmm. I would say that we've definitely been a hub of sharing best practices. Right. Um, you know, members, uh, of course, can go to the URSA website, but even non-members that, you know, are participants in our industry at whatever level they are, URSA is readily sharing, you know, here's the best practices around sanitation, Here's some best practices around signage. Here's some best practices around air quality and, um, you know, air exchange rates and what that looks like. So uh, along with the data, there's also some very practical information out there that uh, we've been providing to, you know, all of our members to help them sort of decipher what's the best way to accomplish a safe environment and what's the best way to help make sure it's as clean as possible. Uh, and then beyond that, it's also just the messaging points out there to try and continue reinforcing, you know, with the public that health clubs are safe. And, you know, there's a litany of criteria that a lot of the government agencies are honing in on uh, 
uh, even outside of looking at health clubs, and that is, you know, early on, everything was all about the surfaces, right? It was about right. keeping surfaces clean, and that uh, dialogue has really changed from the medical community now and the experts uh, to say, no, it's really about your expiration, right? It's really about droplets and transmission through the air. Right. So really the clubs have been needing to transfer from so much concentration on cleaning of surfaces, which everybody was really worried about in the beginning because what doesn't get touched in the health club, right? right? Uh, exercise equipment and check-in and lockers and everything else. But now it has been transitioning uh, to more air quality and transmission through the air. So social distancing or physical distancing is, is referred to it. Um, and then also just the exchange of air is something that can be really good at, right? So that's one of the things that the authorities are looking at is how can you control the air quality? And most clubs are already set up with a really high rate of exchange of air quality mm-hmm. uh, and have been for a while because that's sort of the way their HVA systems are set up. So we're really set up well for that. Uh, secondly, the social distancing, you know, there's in most clubs space to distance people apart. Third, almost every facility has a check-in process. So if there were something that occurred with a positive test, we have in place already mechanisms for contact tracing, uh, which are inherent in the way we do business. Right. Um, so, and we have, we know who's coming and going as well. Right. Um, so we can control the flow mm-hmm. of traffic, if you will. So really help those when you break it down, have a lot of things going for them that the experts out there say really should be taken into consideration about opening and closing. Right. Yeah. That's actually some really interesting points that I hadn't really thought about before. Yeah. I mean, in terms of just kind of being set up for something like this, uh, health clubs are, are perhaps some of the facilities kind of um, best situated to handle a global pandemic. Obviously, you don't want it to happen at all. But like you mentioned, uh, with uh, the high rate of air exchange and um, just like the, the, the processes and procedures for, for check-in, you know, like, yeah, they're, they're, facilities are really uh, well-equipped to kind of handle this and manage it, uh, even in the event that there is an outbreak. But as we've discussed, you know, like, um, you know, health clubs generally don't really um, foster those kinds of uh, outbreaks uh, to begin with. So really interesting there. Yeah, I mean, a good example would be, you know, Costco, for example. If you go to Costco or Home Depot this afternoon, uh, and someone else is in that facility, they really don't have any idea who's there. Right. right. You know, right. There's no check-in. There's no follow-up. Uh, and if they've had a positive te- case, there's no communication out to all the people that went, unless perhaps they happen to buy something and, you know, you swipe their card and you, you went through that laborious process. But health clubs very quickly can communicate out and tell you who was in the club, in the last two hours that may have come in contact with this person, that's easy. Right. Because you, you, you already have that information. It's already uh, stuff that you are uh, prepared to, to handle, and you're, you're gathering that right. uh, even in the best of times. So, yeah. Um, you know, one of the, the other things that you had just touched on there was um, just kind of communicating to the public, um, you know, that health clubs are indeed, you know, safe environments. And how is the association – you know, how is the association – uh, like focused on, on handling that? I mean, are you messaging more directly to the public or are you trying to communicate to, to members to be able to effectively communicate to, to their own, um, you know, health club members? Yeah, I would say, you know, we're trying to be the, the uh, mouthpiece for 
members of the association and other clubs. Percy doesn't have the resources to really mount a national, you know, campaign on television about how safe clubs are. Right. So the, the strategy really is let's get the message points out to the people that are on the front lines, all the different clubs, so that they can get the message out locally through the social media channels that they have, the connections that they have, and all the, you know, advertising and promotional things that they're doing. And we've seen that be, you know, really effective in many, many cases. So that's really the path we're pursuing at this time. Sure, sure. Um, So, you know, amid this crisis, um, have there been any, like, key lessons learned or any, like, large takeaways that you uh, or the industry at large can kind of uh, take away from this entire crisis? Yeah, oh, of course. I think there's uh, several. Um, I think one that we've talked about a lot uh, with a lot of our members that are operating clubs is that for a while, many of them were dipping their toe, if you will, into the digital platform investment, right? right? They, they knew it was kind of a thing, and they thought, yeah, we should probably be getting more and more into that. There's probably more demand than we're realizing. And then when the pandemic hit and they were actually shut down, they quickly realized that, no, we, we can't wait anymore. We've got to make this happen. So it right. really accelerated uh, their investment and, and learning curve around providing digital content for classes and training and small group training and even personal training online all those things so that's one I think uh, one silver lining is it catapult everyone forward as far as their thoughts about going digital and providing services and programs that extended beyond the four walls of their facility sure. if you will uh, that was certainly one uh, number two I think it really reinforced the fact that many clubs are just the third place for people, right? The place other than home and work where they spend a lot of time. Right. And there's a lot of sense of community around that. Um, not just because it's a health club, but because of the members that are already there that are all friends and acquaintances. Uh, and they're part of this, you know, tribe, if you will, that comes to the club at a certain time and does these certain things together. And particularly with all the isolation that we've been having, you know, that's been reinforced again. So as clubs open up, I think you're going to see, you know, even a renewed focus on building this sense of community for the members. Right, right. So that would be number two. Um, I'd say number three would probably be the whole sanitation and cleaning. Uh, You know, I can remember, wow, way back when I was starting in the industry, which has been longer than I want to remember, (laughs) perhaps. Uh, But when we would survey members about, you know, what's the most important thing to you about having a membership here or creating value? Is it, you know, price, the different Group X classes, the type of equipment we have, if we have child care? We ask all these different questions, one of which was about cleanliness. Mm -hmm. And it was then, truly, 30, 40 years ago, the number one answer over and over was cleanliness. Right. So it's always been important, and I think clubs have acknowledged that. But, uh, of course, it's been taken up to an exponential level here in the pandemic, um, which I think as we come out of it will make clubs safer, more sanitary, and cleaner than ever before. So I don't think everybody's going to drop everything. I'm sure the mask will go as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as possible. Right. Um, I think some of the other lessons we've learned about the detail of cleaning and sanitation and what, what really constitutes clean uh, will be remaining in our industry. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, a fourth one, I would say, is an appreciation for, and on a really broad scale, most of us uh, in the industry, and I'm sure you're like-minded like me, you know, we, we really hope the individual businesses succeed and we want them to have members and we want our vendors and suppliers to sell equipment and supplies uh, and everyone to do well. But at a really sort of genuine higher level, we want to help be part of the solution to reverse the epidemic of obesity, sure. uh, the epidemic of, you know, uh, inactivity and the lack of well-being in our society. And right. part of that is having an appreciation for it's okay if people want to work out at home. It's okay if they want to just run. It's okay if they want to buy a Peloton and compliment what they're doing at the club, right? It's okay if they want to buy a mirror and uh, exercise at home. Um, what we really care about is improving the health of, uh, of our society. And that means we probably just need to broaden our perspective and appreciation for the fact that we're not the only answer. We're a really good answer. Right. But we're part of this solution. And so I think that the pandemic has really revealed that that's really the essence of what we're wanting. And so some of the walls that have been built either consciously or subconsciously around that, I think, have been coming down. And I think in the end, that's going to be just a really good thing. Right. Well, what a thoughtful response to that to that question. I, you know, thanks so much for, um, you know, giving such a thorough answer. Yeah, it's been really interesting, I think, um, just kind of you know, looking just broadly at the pandemic and, and lessons learned, even just going beyond the scope of this industry, it does kind of seem like, um, you know, we've seen kind of trends that were already in place accelerate. And yeah, there's been um, a lot of renewed focus around, um, you know, perspective. Like we, we have, uh, we have to kind of look at things from a, a new, a new point of view uh, in, uh, in the COVID era. So um, it's, it's really interesting to hear your, your thoughts on that. Um, if I can add just a couple more, I'm sorry, absolutely. I'm just really passionate about this topic, but, uh, you know, I think we in our industry, we've been sort of talking about this concept that exercise is medicine. Right. Um, you, were, you and I were talking before we started the podcast, uh, and I was relaying about my experiences working with Dr. Cooper mm-hmm. at the Aerobic Center, uh, who really was the forefather, if you will, of preventive medicine. Um, and so it's not a new message, right? I mean, he started, you know, decades literally ago. But for us to be considered, meaning health and fitness centers, gyms, boutiques, studio, all of the above, um, as part of this continuum of care, we've really got to make some progress around recognize that exercise is really good for you. Inherently, people know that. Um, but, but we need to be better at positioning ourselves again, you know, just sort of in that continuum, if you will. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that, that speaks to um, that notion of, of, you know, a new perspective. So, um, oh, sorry, go ahead there. No, that's okay. Um, I was just going to say, you know, one other thing that uh, there's been a little bit of conversation about, which I think may play a role in the future of uh, health club operation, and that is, you know, we've been really fighting as an industry uh, forever any kind of regulation or oversight or certification or anything like that. Uh-huh. Um, so if you you know if you look at salons, if you look at uh, um, 
spas that have massage therapists or hairstylists or, you know, some of the other professions, there's a standard that has to be met that gives people confidence that they're being run to a certain level. Right. And, you know, we've resisted that in our industry for some good reasons, but it's times like these that reveal, you know, I think if we were sort of a certified uh, offering, we probably would gain more respect not only in the medical community, but in the public at large and from the politicians. What an interesting, uh, yeah, thought. Yeah, that's that's something that, uh, again, I hadn't really occurred to me. But, yeah, you may be, you may be right, especially, you know, post-pandemic as we're kind of reevaluating things. Um, it'll be it, that would be certainly interesting to see um, whether certification could um, help kind of boost the reputation of, of health and health and fitness and workout facilities um, around the country. So, um, yeah, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to um, ask my next question here, which is, um, what is the association doing to promote communication and uh, you know? just kind of sharing ideas and, and best practices among uh, industry professionals? Well, you know, I think one of the, one of the unique things that we uh, have really just launched here in the last uh, month um, is these state alliances. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of those being formed, but they're alliances that are being formed in state by state, and currently they're loosely, you know, it's kind of evolving of how you define an alliance, but it's around 16 to 18 states have some semblance of a, an alliance being formed, and it really is a diverse group. It's very mm-hmm. inclusive, meaning it's for-profit clubs, it's non-profit clubs, it's independent operators, it's really big players, um, it's boutiques, it's CrossFits, it's martial arts studios, it's yoga studios, Pilates sure. studios, pickling studios. Uh, but they're joining these alliance really so that they can have a voice, uh, you know, at the highest level in their states uh, with their government, with their health departments, um, and so forth. And so we've really been trying to support those uh, alliances because they're out there really literally, you know, on the front line, state to state. And so we've been uh, giving them toolkits and templates and message points and organizational documents so that we can help them grow very quickly. Uh, Many of these are, you know, there's no fee involved. You just get involved so that you can contribute your voice uh, and your participation. Some of them have decided to charge, you know, some level of uh, dues or a fee because they're, they're using that to uh, hire lobbyists, et cetera. But um, that's probably the latest really, I think, cool thing that's happening out of the pandemic is that people are really motivated right now for because there's a common enemy. Right. <laughs> and the common enemy is everybody that thinks you know, that we shouldn't be open mm-hmm. or that we're unsafe. So everybody's really coming together to, to fight this common enemy with a common goal. And we want to make sure we take advantage of that momentum. Uh, to do some good things. So we're trying to help them in any way that we can with materials and resources on our website at ursa.org. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that speaks to something that you touched on earlier. Again, is, you know, maybe some of those walls that, you know, were were put up, you know, between different segments of the industry, whether, you know, purposefully or, you know, just kind of um, arbitrarily, you know, like some of those things are starting to come down and it's uh, paying dividends for the industry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so final question for you um, is um, just r- related to the uh, Ursa show. So, we, you know, we missed being in San Diego this past year, but is there any update on what Ursa is thinking about for uh, the show in 2021? 
Well, we're having this interview about uh, a week or two weeks early for me to give you that answer. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I can say this. We are absolutely planning on having a convention uh, next year in 2021. Of course, it's scheduled, as always, for March right now. Uh, I can tell you that we're evaluating if the need to possibly push that date back to uh-huh. later in the year. Um, because of the latest information around the pandemic, um, there's a lot of fear about, uh, you know, a new spike coming in the fall, mm-hmm. uh, which worries all of us, right? Right. Um, and, and another consideration for us, for sure, is we have such a loyal following from the international community for the convention and trade show. Right. Really, every year, about half of our attendees are, are from international countries. And the restrictions on travel and so forth are making us a little leery, you know, and just unsure. So we're uh, we're talking to all of our constituents and uh, trying to make plans. So you can everyone can expect an announcement on that here in the next uh, two weeks. Well, we'll stay tuned, and you know, we'll we'll definitely keep our eyes open for an announcement on that front. Uh, is there anything else that we haven't uh, touched on yet today that you'd uh, you'd like to mention? Um. Yeah, if I could just, uh, again, speak to the collaborative effort, you know, across the entire industry, um, even between athletic business, let's say, and URSA, right? Uh, we both put on really nice uh, conventions and trade shows. and We appreciate you saying that. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. No, I, as I said, I've participated and have been uh, to the AB convention and trade show many times over the years. Um, there's a little different crowd that goes to both of them, right? There's some crossover, but I, I would say, you know, we draw more of the, uh, you know, the the chains and the major suppliers and uh, more of the independent health clubs. And I think KB still, you know, definitely draws in the uh, college and the medical and, the, uh, you know, the nonprofits and the military groups. Mm-hmm. Um and I just, you know, would encourage everyone listening that uh, this is a time right now where we really need to, just like, you know, we keep saying what the what government needs to do in Washington is reach across the aisle. We don't care whether you're, which side <laughs> of it you're on. Right? Just help us cure this. Right. Uh, and I think we need to listen to our own language and say, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a nonprofit, for-profit, small, big. We all want to serve Americans um, and help them improve the quality of their life. And to do that, sometimes we just need to drop our guard a little bit, you know, and wish everyone well and try and make sure everybody succeeds. So that, that would be my message. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. Uh, Brent Darden, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Athletic Business Magazine is a trade publication that 40,000 athletics, fitness, and recreation professionals rely on to find the tips, trends, and products they need to be successful. Want to join? Head on over to athleticbusiness.com slash subscribe to get started or renew your free subscription. All right. Great conversation, Jason. A lot of interesting information. I know you had a couple of details uh, that came through um, related to URSA uh, after you talked to to Brent. So if you want to fill people in on that. That's right. Yes. So uh, as Brent referenced towards the end of our conversation, uh, he was a few weeks away from being able to uh, release this information uh, at the time that he and I spoke a few weeks ago now. But um, Ursa has uh, announced a new location for uh, the annual uh, convention and trade show. And that's going to be September 20th through the 22nd of 2021. And that's going to be in Los Angeles. So uh, good news for, for the industry. Uh, you know, we're excited to uh, 
you know, have an opportunity hopefully uh, next year to get uh, to get back with our industry friends at Ursa. So uh, exciting yeah. time uh, ahead. Always a great, great show. Um, yeah, a couple of things internally here at AB. Um, just wanted to let everybody know the October issue is out, and we've announced all of the Facility of Merit Award winners this year. Um, pretty exciting stuff there and some neat facilities. Be sure to check them out either in the magazine or online at the site. Um, and then also, uh, I believe, you know, in the next 48 hours, we should have the November-December issue put to bed, um, and that will hit mailboxes first week of November. So be sure to last last issue of the extraordinary 2020. That's right. Yeah, uh, gonna put uh, 2020 to bed with another uh, with another really uh, good issue. I'm excited to get that one in front of readers. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I think that's it for for today. But um, you know, look for another another podcast in the next couple of weeks. We're gonna get a little bit more regular on this again. Um, and what do you say? Until next time. Yeah. Shall I shall I end with my tagline? <laughs> oh, please do. Uh, until next time. Take it easy. All right. Cool. <laughs>